This episode of The Taylor Stevens Show is brought to you by listeners, readers, and patrons. If you'd like to learn how to support this podcast, please visit www.patreon.com slash taylorstevens. Taylor Stevens, the New York Times bestselling and award-winning author of kick-ass international thrillers. And this is The Taylor Stevens Show with my good friend Steve Campbell, where we are kicking writing in the butt one word at a time. Taylor, we have got to get our act together. We've got to be better organized with these shows. So I'm going to start this myself and tell people immediately what our topic is today. We're going to talk about using plot points and the idea of using plot points. That's going to be the topic. So that's the professional part of the show is out of the way. Now to the <laughs> chit chat. <laughs> if you if if someone came to you and said, "I have a really good friend who's an author. What should I get them for Christmas?" What would your advice be? <laughs> well, being such a good friend that I am, I would not be selfish and say, "Oh, you should get them Liar's Paradox because it's coming out." <laughs> And I really? Say, when is it coming out? December 18th. And, and now we are completely off the rails. Our whole idea of being professional is shot. Well, no, I, like I'm that. such a good friend. I would oh. be like, what do they like to read? <laughs> no, th- it, this is a writer. A writer. Oh, you, well. would, you would want them to get Liar's Paradox and tear it apart as a writing tool. Yes, that's totally what I would want them to do. Okay, but if, if it wasn't, <laughs> if they already had that. If they already had that, um, are you asking for like, what's a good writing book for writers? Well, just a gift. Like somebody just says, what should I, I have this friend who's a writer and I want to get them something that would be good for their career. What should I get them? Why do I think this is a trick question? It's not a trick question. <laughs> um, what would I get them? Uh, uh, an escape. <laughs> an escape. Where they can just be away from the world for like a few months. Yeah, that's what this writer would like to have. Okay, all right, I got you. I thought you meant escape from the idea of being a writer. No, you mean a, a, a quiet spot where they could go for a few months and actually get some work done. Yeah, and nobody would want anything from them or need them to do anything. and And they could just have peace of mind that everything's taken care of. Don't worry. We got it. We got everything. You just go away and forget the world for a few months. Well, that would be the best gift ever. That was great. (laughs) I don't know if it's just writers who would appreciate that. (laughs) (laughs) Probably, probably everyone. But if you're wondering what to get me, that would be really great. If you could get me that two months. I read an article about in South Korea, life has gotten so hectic and the, the economy has taken a downturn and it's just become so overwhelming that people are actually paying to go to fake prison <laughs> to get away from life. <laughs> like they're treated like prisoners, but it's not real. Um, and then their attitudes of it is we're actually going back out to the real prison, which is life. And I'm like, oh, my God, that's I can get it. I get it. I get what they're saying. But that's like taking it to the extreme. Yeah, you how, might be doing some things wrong in life if, if that's you're out. OK, I love I love when we talk about things like plot points and 
these things that you read writing books and you absorb this information and you go, hmm, I wonder how I would apply that because I know that every time I bring it up as a possible topic, you say, this stuff just makes my head hurt. I don't understand it. I don't want to understand it. I never said I don't want to understand it, but I don't understand it. And like, so before we even started this show, uh, we were discussing that and Steve sent me some links. He's like, well, look at this stuff. And there was some, it was like instructions, writing teachers, I guess. I didn't really delve into it. Um, Trying to teach authors about, you know, structure and, you know, here's the plots and this is the first plot point and the second plot point. And it, it makes my head hurt. I don't understand it. Like I read this stuff and it feels like noise, like someone just going wah, 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 wah in my ear. And I have no sense of how to actually apply that in real life. I, I couldn't take my own books and go, here's the first point, the plot point, here's the second plot point, here's where that turns, and here's how this structure works. I, I don't understand it. It makes no sense to me. And in discussing it with Steve, I was like, you know, I can't be the only one. I know there are a lot of people for whom that makes logical sense, and they can read those uh, blogs or articles or chapters Whoops. in writing books and and get it and understand it and go, oh, so this is what I need to do here. But I can't. I, I'm i someone who's taught myself everything I need to know from reading in life. I, I, I learned how to do life through instruction books. Why don't I understand what they're talking about when it comes to writing and the creative process? It makes no sense to me. But I can't be the only one. I know that there are listeners out there who probably listen to this show for that exact reason because they don't understand what that stuff means. And they're trying to actually figure out how to apply these concepts to their own writing. So we're going to talk about plot points today, but we're not going to break it down into three-act structures. We're going to try and talk about it in a way that maybe people like me will understand. Okay, and let me let me throw in my two cents worth because we, we started talking about it, and it's like, okay, we should just start recording now because this is good. I have read, I don't know, probably not as many books on writing as you have, but every time I read them, I'll, I'll, I'll see something like, three-act structure and go, okay, I can understand that. And I'll start reading and go, okay, that makes sense. That makes sense. And then the next chapter is how to break your three-act structure into seven acts. And then the next one is how to do it in 11 acts. And then the next one is 19 acts. And I get to, you know, I just close the book and go, okay, I know less now than I did before I started reading all this stuff. It's just totally confusing. I just want to pick one and say, okay, this is, this is what we should do. And you have, you have chosen to pick none. And say yeah. this is what you should do. Well, okay, so when I see that, I'm like, clearly, there's a problem that this book is trying to solve, right? All these instructions that are trying to teach people how to do stuff, they're trying to solve a problem. Clearly, I don't have that problem or I don't recognize that problem in what they're trying to teach. But what is this problem that they're trying to solve? They, it is stories that... that fall flat, stories that don't go anywhere, stories that um, don't seem to hold together, that are just sort of, you know, loosely tied and strung and that feel incomplete or leave the audience going, what was that, right? So you can have an idea and you can have characters and you can have a sense of what's happening, but storytelling is such a 
long, complex process that sometimes you can lose your way as you're writing this book. And so I think what these structural things are trying to help people do is take this mess that they have and give it some sense of order. And they do it by saying, here's this portion, here's that portion, here's this portion. And maybe that will work for people who have a book, but it's messy and it doesn't really fit and it's not working. And they're trying to figure out how to salvage it or figure out how to guide these multiple elements. But for someone who already has a really strong sense of the story that they're trying to tell, you can try and twist yourself into a pretzel, fitting everything into these boxes, right? So I think if we look at it more as what's the actual problem that you have and work it from there, you can get to the same solutions without having to twist yourself into that pretzel. Okay, let's do it. Well, you got to have a problem. What's the problem? Problem is <laughs> the story is meandering and it doesn't feel right. There's a beginning, there's an end, there's a bunch of stuff in the middle. That's what we have. So then we want these tent poles, I think, to form our story up into something that looks like what we read. Well, remember... Last week, we were talking about threads, right? Mm -hmm. How the threads all have to loop in and have to tie together. Um, that is part of it. Like, you don't want all those threads. The other is pacing. Like, as you read or as you're writing, you can't tell everything up front and then just drag it out for the last 70% of the book. Mm -hmm. There's something that kicks the story off. I guess that's what they would call the inciting incident. It's not what I call the inciting incident or act one or whatever that gets the story launched. And then you've got the things that happen along the way, the middle, the muddle, and then you've got the end. And of course, we would assume that the end is like your act three, which is supposed to be the big ta-da. Mm -hmm. um, but it's everything that happens in the middle is where people really get lost. And I think for me, one of the problems I have with conceptualizing this three-act structure is when I think of three acts, I think of them as equal parts, mm -hmm. you know, like a whole divided into third with three equal portions. But stories with beginning, middle, and end don't work that way necessarily. Your beginning could be very short, your end could be very short, and your middle could be 80% of the book. So that's not going to fit into a traditional, what my concept is of three distinct, very clear portions. Um, so for me, it's more a case of, are you keeping the reader engaged? Like, is there always something happening where... Every time you find, figure something out, there's still something else that's left open and you're, you're leapfrogging as you go, answering and questioning and answering and questioning, hunting and seeking and finding and everything. That's your pacing to keep it spread out evenly. And I don't, I mean, I'm sure obviously it can be done in a three act structure, but to me that just seems so forced. Oh, this happened now we're at page this, and we have to 
introduce the next thing. I'm sure that works really well if you're like writing a TV show and you have 45 minutes and everything has to fit in that 45 minutes, but books aren't like that. I can't tell you the number of times that I, and I, I'm pretty sure I recognize this just as a reader before I started writing, where you would reach an inflection point in the book and I would look at the total number of pages and see where I was, and it was inevitably at the midway point, like almost exactly to the page, the midway point. And it's like this, this can't be happenstance. This has to be planned this way. Well, I can tell you that I do not plan that in any of my books. When I am writing a plot, when I am outlining, nothing, not a single thing is based on acts. Well, I'm going to give you a report when I read the actual book that's coming out on December 18th (laughs) and that has page numbers and everything. I'm I'm going to mark this stuff and then we'll talk about it. Yes, that would be kind of fun. It would, and it would help me understand if what I'm doing instinctually actually fits this model or this mold. But I will tell you, for all those out there who this three-act structure or, you know, whatever we want to call it doesn't always make sense in your brain, I don't have anything to do with it when I'm plotting out my, my books. Everything I'm doing when I'm plotting is what's driving this. Is this intense enough? Is there mystery left in this? Is this answering too many questions? Why? How can we make this more complicated? What would be the reason that so-and-so is doing this? Everything has to make sense. Motive has to make sense. Every play, Everywhere they go, everything they do, every question they ask has to make sense to the story. And in doing that, it raises a lot of well, what about this? Why didn't they do this this that way? Why didn't they do this other thing? And as you start to to question all the why nots and what this, it thickens the, it adds red herrings. It you know thickens the logic and all of this. But there's nothing in there about we're having going to have this peak and then we're going to let it go down. And then we're going to have this peak and then we're going to let it go down. It's about continuing the story continues. It, it it doesn't have this breaking point in my mind, although it may for the readers. It's all about getting from the beginning to the end in a continual stream of, oh my God, wait, what? And, and how? And it's all about the people, the characters and their interactions with themselves and with the environment. And when I'm plotting, I'm not even caring so much about who goes where. It's who is arguing with who, who is trying to get what from whom, who is chasing that person. Why do they want them dead? And so if character A is needs to kill character B, that's my plot right there. But it's the emotion that's driving it and all the different things along the way that might be considered plot points are frustrations and difficulties thrown at that character to make it harder and add conflict and add suspense. If it all ties together into a neat package of three acts or whatever, woo, that's awesome. But it's never planned that way. It's always about authenticity and excitement and character interaction. Okay, let me tell you some of the things that I've read, and you can just comment on them. 
Okay. One of the things is that the first act should be, and I'm, I'm paraphrasing, and I've I've read lots of different things, but in general, it seems like the accepted school of thought is the first act should be somewhere between 20 and 25%. And so at, at some point around the 20, 25% point is when the thing happens that gets the story going. And I know when I'm reading, if it takes me to 25% to get the story going, it's like, okay, this book is awful. Yeah, I'm like, the story should start on the first page. Yeah, I, I want to read read to you one of my all-time favorite uh, beginnings to a book. This okay. is from John D. McDonald. It's uh, Darker Than Amber. We were about to give up and call it a night when somebody dropped the girl off the bridge. They came to a yelping stop overhead out of sight, dumped her over the bridge and took off. And that's it. So the, it didn't even take a sentence before they were into the story. Right. Sarah J. Henry, who wrote Learning to Swim, has an f- amazing opening, too. Oh, I love that opening to that where book. Where she says, if I blinked, I would have missed it. Yeah. And it's, she sees a boy being thrown off a boat, mm-hmm. a little boy. Um, yeah, for me, if it takes you 20... Okay, in my mind, first act, whatever, it's how long does it take you to engage that reader, mm-hmm. right? One to five pages, that's what you've got. That's your first act right there. Bam. You know, if they're not already pulled in, if there's not something that happened on those first few pages that makes them want to read further, and it doesn't have to be thriller, it doesn't have to be suspense, it could be anything. But if they don't know in those first five pages what it is your character wants, like, you forget the rest of the acts. Not it, it, No. Um there's got to be something that makes them want to read on. Even if, is that guy going to get a glass of water, you know? Um, and sometimes it's, it's a character trait or something. You read like in the first couple of pages and you just know, oh, I like this guy. I want to learn more about him. I want to spend more time with this guy. Yeah. It, it doesn't have to be a set thing it is what draws you into the story to me that's your first act that's your the curtains opened are you going to keep the audience in their seat you know mm-hmm. um so you were going to throw some more at me well and, and then there is the idea of the third act because the the middle is just sort of the middle and i have read anywhere from a third like you were talking about earlier like third a third a third to the last 20 percent, to the last 10 percent but it's essentially when the last, it can't get any worse than this thing happens, and it's, you know, do or die in the case of thrillers or mysteries or, or whatever, or I guess even romance could, could be the same way. It's, it's, it's either, we're either, it's going to be happily ever after or it's not, and this is the turning point where we are starting down the path of making that choice. You see, Liar's Paradox would never fit into that because Liar's Paradox has so many different uh, characters that mm-hmm. want different things and they all come together. But there are, there is more than one, what do they call it? Denouement? Den- or what's that word where it's like... It, it, I know what you ri- mean. I can't the, say it. The, the, the story sort of rises and it has this big finale, right? Mm-hmm. There's more than one of those in this book. And the, the biggest last one isn't even the main part of the story. 
So to say, oh, you've got to fit it in X, Y, or Z, you get these formula stories because everybody's trying to follow a formula, you know? And I just don't understand how, if everybody's following the same formula, you're supposed to have completely new, interesting books because you're trying to fit this pattern, this way that it has to be done. And I think... I mean, ultimately, again, going back to this concept of you're trying to solve a problem is you're trying to keep your audience engaged, right? And so when the, when the acts rise and fall, so to speak, and, and obviously that's those are stage terms. That's where it would have originally originated is with plays. Um, you didn't want to end the act on like a boring note where people didn't want to come back for more. Right. Mm -hmm. But with books, you're not, you don't have anybody who's going to go get up out of their seat at a specific time because the curtain fell and never come back. You don't want your readers to shut the book anywhere at any point in, in this entire story. So the, this whole concept of, you know, first act, second act, third act is in aside from structure and trying to make, you know, stories, follow this sort of rhythm, it's also to keep thing, make sure that there's enough interesting stuff happening. Mm-hmm. So if you have a first act and each act is supposed to have, you know, it's high point and it's emotional this or whatever, those are trying to help, I would assume, the writers go, did you include this in there? Does it have enough of an emotional impact or whatever, you know? did Are they going to come back after the intermission? So... For me, I'm like, well, if if it doesn't make sense to do it in these specific discrete units, um, what about covering the other points? Does it have an emotional high? Do we feel connected to the characters? Do we know what the characters want? Does the character have something to lose? Has something happened to the character that has caused them distress or discomfort or conflict in some way? Because conflict drives story. You cannot have any interesting, engaging story without conflict in it, whether emotional, psychological, physical, or whatever. So it's possible that the reason why I can do all of this without any concept of act or structure is because I'm hitting all the things that those teaching tools are supposed to fix through a different angle. So it's all there. It's just being approached differently, which is, you know, engagement through through character and through conflict. Yeah, and I, I think a, a lot of the things that you were just describing are things that some people would call plot points. There, there's, there's just so much terminology that's used in different ways in writing. But I mean, you, you talk about, and I, I know the way that you build stories because we've talked about them before. There's a lot of time that goes into it. And to a certain extent, when you're doing that, you're making sure that all these things are in there. And so you are putting stakes in the ground. You know these these points need to be hit. You might not necessarily know where they're going to be hit, but you know they need to be hit. You know, we need to care about the character. There needs to be conflict, uh, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And then it's just a question of getting it all in there. And those, in my mind, those are plot points. But if you just look at plot points like... Act one, act two, act three, act four, then you've got, or act, act one, act two, act three, and, and maybe a couple of twist things in there. Then you've got like five, 
targets that you're pointing towards, whereas in your development process, you've got dozens of targets that you're not pointing towards, but trying to achieve in in creating the story. Yes, I suppose. (laughs) Even that is like almost too much for me in terms of um, putting it into a box or a label or whatever. Uh, I just, it's all about authentic characters and authentic reasons for them to do what they do within this very fantastical, never would happen in real life setting. Um, and that's, that's what drives the stories is, and I, and I was thinking about, you know, in, in Liar's Paradox, how it just, it doesn't fit any of that, but it's, it's all about the characters and what's driving them. And, and I think back on the, um, you know, the Monroe stories and which were also very convoluted plots in terms of story, but it was really about the characters and the decisions they were making and, and what was eating, you know, just driving them and what was tormenting them and, and the real life stuff that sort of surrounded that character development, because, you know, plot is character, but when you're writing thrillers, you sometimes have to sacrifice the character development in order to propel the plot, the story forward. Um, but the way I've always done it is the whole story is the character and the plot is just the environment that those characters are living in. Okay, so any advice for people to, uh, to get books on craft and how to, how to build a story? Yeah, don't listen to me. That, no. <laughs> well, that, that's a joke. I mean, you know, really, this is an effort to say that there's, there's more than just one way of doing this. If you read 10 books, eight of them will, will give you a different way of doing things. They'll use slightly different terminology, and they'll put their own spin on it to, to make you feel good about having bought their book. Or maybe because they think it's going to help you understand the way that they do their own process. I don't know. Um, I'm going to take a little bit of liberty here, Steve. You can edit this out if you don't want to. But a little bit reminds me of that conversation that you and I had about what you're working on, where you had in your mind that the story needed to be a certain number of chapters. Yep. And it needed to be a certain number of words and then you like try and twist yourself into a pretzel to fit this predetermined concept that you had in your mind of what this story needed to be. All right, let me let me these... offer a little background here. Okay. Um, I had my goal for the for the book that I'm writing was that it to be around seventy thousand words and twenty five chapters. So I. I structured, not structured the book like we're talking about now, but I set up the chapters and everything. I, I, I knew how long I wanted the chapters to be, uh, et cetera, et cetera. I, and Taylor and I were talking after we recorded last week's show, and I was expressing some concern about the length of the book. And we were chatting, and we were bumping up against time deadlines, and I know that Taylor believes that I wasn't understanding what she was saying, which is entirely possible. <laughs> so that's that's the background that's what she's talking about so go ahead so just that if you go into you know the story is the story and yes a story can become bloated yes a story can meander and these um and lose its way and sometimes especially beginning authors can start off with one idea and then as they're writing 
the story sort of takes on a different direction and the author loses their way of what it is they're actually really writing about and it becomes a mess. So in that sense, if you can find a way to fit it into this structural, you know, scaffold that is being taught, well, maybe that is helpful to try and get it back on track to what you were originally setting out to do. But you can also totally destroy the creative process if that scaffold or the structure becomes a mold that you have to fit this story into. And there's no room for it to grow. There's no room for it to be something different, which is a completely different subject of when the story meanders and goes off and it's off topic. But if you have your story and you know what you're writing about and you haven't lost your way by following little paths that don't actually matter to the story and it grows beyond that shell, well, that that structure is just your guidepost. It's not your prison. You can go further than that. And I think that's sort of really important for people to understand, especially people like me who are going, act, what has to happen when, for how long? <laughs> no, it's just a guideline. And then your story is what matters. And if you find that you've got an act one that's only 5% of the book and an act three that's only 5% of the book and the rest is all act two, but it works, then don't worry about it. Okay. So I think we've done it. We're, we're at about 30 minutes. And we sort of an offbeat take on, on the topic today. Yeah, uh, no clarity is, from me. Sorry. Well, it's not, it's not, it's not, I think there is clarity in that it's, what you're saying is, is we don't have to be locked into these formulas. Um, it is possible to write well and write successfully without being tied to something like this. Although it can be useful to have these things as guidelines, although it wasn't useful for you because you probably didn't even know what these things were when you started. I still don't. <laughs> I don't understand them. <laughs> All right, so we are done. We are at uh, we are at 30 minutes, which is as long as we want to go, I think. We're trying to keep these things a little bit shorter. Thank you guys so much for listening. Uh, enjoy the coming holiday season, and we will be back with you again in uh, another week. Thanks so much for being here, guys. <laughs>